Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Taking responsibility is taking action in your life that moves you toward happiness and success. It is about owning the consequences of what you do. When taking responsibility in your life, you allow yourself to be in control. In this episode, we're going to talk about improvements that you can make in your personal life toward taking responsibility for your actions. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? I have been living in .NET Core instead of SQL, and I'm so much happier with that. And I've done some really slick little things in WinForms, like to supplement an ASP.NET web API that I'm building. Yeah, man, I tell you what, I, I like desktop development. It is such a relief. After you've been doing web and database stuff, it's not even funny. None of that stuff will really see the light of day. I'm just using it as I'm going along. Uh, mainly like a testing harness and those kind of things. Um, still, it's it's really nice. Um, another thing I'm doing is I'm very strongly considering offering coaching to software developers. Um, and you'll be hearing more about that probably in a little bit. I've got to think some things out a little bit more, but uh, I think that's going to be a thing that's coming. So how about you? Last week was 4th of July. And uh, if you watched our live video, you saw some photos that I, I had from this, but... Uh, one of my friends that's a photographer brought her camera and some sparklers out and we did light painting with sparklers, which is really, really cool because when you're doing this, you have to keep your body and your face perfectly still for like 15 to 20 seconds and then move your arms holding the light source, which for this was sparklers around to paint um, on the, uh, the camera basically. Uh, and, uh, I don't want to say it's not painting on the film because there's not film anymore, but you know, paint on the exposure of that. It's, it's really awesome. If you follow me on social media, uh, she already posted the photos. So I, I have them up there. You know, most of my profile pics are from that now too. Cause it was just, it was a lot of fun. Like I was so hyped up after that because it was big party with a bunch of my friends and that like I got home and it took, two cups of sleepy time tea just to calm down enough to go to bed. <laughs> nice. Like, you know how I get, I get hyped. Uh, uh, no, I've never seen that. <laughs> uh, and then, um, then I've been, uh, been doing a lot of painting lately. Uh, had to do some stuff for my code land talk. Uh, there's two, two slides that I wanted to use my own work, uh, other than, um, Alicia's. And so I, uh, I started working on those and then I got some ideas and I went to Hobby Lobby and spent way too much money on painting supplies. But, you know, that's that's life. Um, and then uh, other in other cool news this Saturday, I get to uh, I get to DJ uh, serve day at our church. We're giving a doing a backpack giveaway for giving out backpacks full of school supplies and stuff to community kids. And I'm going to be um, in the AV booth DJing the, the event. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I've been practicing my, my DJ voice. BJ the DJ. 
<laughs> Coming to you on crappy FM. <laughs> and that oh, was yeah. my DJ voice, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I got all that going on. Work. We're um, we're wrapping up a couple of projects, and next week we we hit the ground running on a new project. It's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Changing up kind of the way we're doing stuff. Moving from three week sprints to one week iterations. I, w- I don't really want to call them a sprint because it doesn't have all the stuff that a sprint has. We're moving to more of a Kanban type flow. So it's, it's going to be cool. I'm looking forward to it. Um, with all that said, uh, we're going, we're jumping into our book on language in book club. We're starting out in Power Talk, Using Language to Build Authority and Influence by Dr. Sarah Myers McGinty. Now, this book is about language, specifically sociolinguistics, which is the sociology or sociological study of how language influences society and how society influences language. In the introduction, Dr. McGinty explains sort of the why, um, even though we've almost spend our entire life speaking, why we need to learn how to talk. And the problem that she points out is that we never receive formal training in speaking and therefore don't know the full nature and power of the language we use. She breaks it down into a dichotomy of two types of language, from the center and from the edge. Um, The first two chapters describe each of these. Language from the center is authoritative and takes the lead. It conveys competence, knowledge, and authority. Whereas language from the edge is inquiring and exploratory. It conveys approachability and inclusion. It asks questions, contextualizes, and avoids arguments. In these first few chapters, Dr. McGinty not only defines these two types of languages, but explains the necessity of each one and begins to talk about when to use them to be most effective. And I'll have a link to the book in the show notes if you want to read along. Will, who's talking to us this week? Well, we grabbed a iTunes review from AMS underscore Hayes, saying, Great podcast, really relevant and interesting topics. The discussions are insightful, entertaining, and informative. Thanks for producing such a great show. Uh, We have a lot of fun recording each week. Some of that fun makes it into the episode uh, some of it uh, we keep to ourselves because y'all just don't want to hear us making fun of each other constantly. But uh, send us an email with your contact information to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or you comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. And check us out each week where we do a live show and talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. Or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. The place to improve the world is first in one's own heart and head and hands. Now, that's a quote from Robert M. Persig, and that's in Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. So I saw this quote on one of the websites when I was putting this together. Before reading who it was from, I read the quote and I'm like, that sounds so familiar. 
I've heard that before. Where have I heard that before? And then I saw who it was from. I was like, oh yeah, I've, I've read his book. And yeah, I've read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I don't know how many times, three or four different times uh, throughout my life. It's a really good book. You guys should, should check out. It is not about Zen or motorcycle maintenance at all. So it is not boring. <laughs> nice. <laughs> taking responsibility is taking control of a situation and owning the consequences of an action. There are two basic types of responsibility, direct or personal responsibility and indirect responsibility. Direct responsibility is taking ownership of the consequences of your own behavior, whereas indirect responsibility is taking ownership of the consequences of another person's behavior. So it's like the difference between a firefighter and an arsonist? (laughs) You could say that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, at, at work, taking responsibility sometimes feels like accepting blame or fault for something that you may not even have been a part of creating. A lot of times we fear that if we get blamed for too many bad things at work, we might lose the job. It can be hard to work on improving yourself when you don't have a job or income. The interesting thing about making improvements in your personal life is that as you start applying them, you'll notice changes in the way you handle responsibility in your work life. Your employer will tend to notice too. So we're going to talk about several things that you can do to take direct or personal responsibility for your life and a little bit about how to apply them on the job. We've broken them down into things to avoid or stop doing and things to start doing. But before we talk about that, we want to talk about what happens to people at work when they don't take personal responsibility. Yeah. And the first thing is, is they just get disengaged. I mean, they, they start lacking interest in their work, but it's, it's almost even a little bit more than that because they start not caring if they damage the well-being of the team. Uh, they begin to blame others for their mistakes and failures. Yeah, and this tends to also result in things like missing deadlines and avoiding challenging tasks and projects and not taking risks. They'll also complain a lot about the unfair treatment by team leaders or team members. Um, And there's going to be a lot of self-pity. And the other thing that this tends to do is it makes people very afraid to take initiative They tend to be dependent on others for work, advice, instructions, those kind of things. They can't um, take the initiative and go out and decide what to do. And this Mm -hmm. will also erode trust over time in the team members and leaders. So they start to Mm -hmm. distrust the rest of the team. They start to distrust leadership. They start to talk to the rest of the team in a negative sense. They're going to make a lot of excuses like it's not my fault. That's unfair. Things like that. And so these are... These are signs that someone is not taking personal responsibility or the results of not taking personal responsibility. So the first group we're going to talk about are the things to stop doing in order to take personal responsibility. Yeah. And the first one is stop playing the blame game. Um, If you're going to take personal responsibility, you don't get to blame other people. A situation could be from a bad things when you were growing up, poor relationships, or anything. Blaming is the direct opposite of taking responsibility. Yeah. It basically puts all the power and ownership in the other person's hands. Yeah, and that's the big thing, right? Is like you're just saying, hey, you know, it's not my problem. It's just something inflicted on me. And it's a powerless position to have. And when you start blaming everybody else, you're letting other people define who you are. 
So the person at fault likely doesn't really care about feeling about it, even if they are legitimately at fault. Like, so what? It doesn't actually move the needle for you. Blame tends to result in a lot of bitterness, resentment, and powerlessness. Yeah. Even being justified, it's not going to make you happy. It's not going to make you successful. The thing about it is, is people tend to react to this stuff and go, okay, but they are at fault. That's true. And you're not justifying the actions of other people by releasing the blame. What you're doing is you're releasing the ability of that blame to cause you as many problems. You know, this doesn't ignore the fact that life can be difficult. What it does is to move the focus of your life back on being about you and not being about the person you're blaming or the situation you're blaming. It lets you take your power and your freedom back from the situation. And instead of focusing on who is to blame, you can actually win by overcoming the problem. So it doesn't really matter if you created it. Like if you're starting to look at it and you go, well, they screwed up and it caused this problem. Great. Now you have a problem you can solve Mm -hmm. and look good doing it. Victims tend to look at who's at fault for their problems, whereas victors overcome their problems no matter who caused them. They don't care who was at fault. They take responsibility for overcoming the problem. Yeah. Life isn't fair. And there's going to be times that you are the victim. You know, there's going to be times you come up short, whatever. If life was completely fair, there would be no point in hard work. There would be no point in having the right attitude because you'd get exactly what you deserve. You don't. It's a roll of the dice. It's, it's going to work the way it does. It's on you whether you stay the victim or you do something about it. Next, you want to avoid making excuses and constantly complaining. Yeah, making excuses for yourself doesn't allow you to learn from your mistakes. And what happens is you get a pattern of behavior in place when you do this that makes you have a cognitive bias that makes you not able to see when you're making a mistake because Mm -hmm. there were no consequences before and you didn't have to essentially eat the negative consequences. Yeah, nothing's ever your fault. Even when there isn't someone to blame, it's still not your fault in this mindset. Without personal accountability, you're not able to grow. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like when, when you try to avoid accountability for stuff, you're not setting yourself up in a position where you can grow. It's like, it's like lifting weights and only lifting really light weights. You're not going to get stronger. Um, The overcoming of adversity is what makes you a better person. You know, it's like the old saying, the kite rises with the wind. Mm-hmm. If there's no resistance, there's no, there's no upward swing. Right. And you know, you, you got to start where you're at. I mean, I, I think of uh, just myself, I started going to the gym and just going and walking to get into that habit, but I didn't stay just doing that. I could have, I could have been doing that, not done anything, not changed, not pushed myself to keep adding more to what I was doing, made the excuse, well, I'm going to the gym, I'm eating healthy, and I'm still not losing weight. So what's the point of even trying? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's it's almost like it's defined by, you know, your repeated failures that happened mm-hmm. before the success. It's like, you know, oh, I'm going to try to run my own thing. And you just, you fall down repeatedly. Like when I was at MicroConf, there were people talking about like four or five businesses that they completely bombed out at before they got one that was successful and Mm -hmm. it made them who they were. I mean, it's the crucible that forged them into who they became. Also with this, when you complain, you give up the ability to do anything about a situation. Now, first off, you're wasting energy 
that could be spent on finding a solution. Yeah, complaining is really an inability to accept what is happening in the here and now. Um, And I know everybody engages in it. I mean, I do too. Mm -hmm. But if you're at the point where you can't do anything about a situation, what does complaining really do for you? You Now, the thing about this is it's not the same as a cathartic vent session where you get with a trusted friend and you just kind of vent all your frustrations before you jump in and take action. Because Will and I do this a lot. Yeah, we'll get wound up, specifically intentionally get ticked off at a situation and then go attack it. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's like, uh, it's a pre-attack indicator for us when we're complaining yeah. about something, it's fixed to get handled. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is when something comes up, there've been several times where like something would come up and we would just jump on uh, hangouts or something and just, I'll be at the gym and I, I looked out at my phone when I'm getting off the treadmill and there's like 20 messages from Will on Hangouts where like he got into something and it just like, he was like, man, I can't get this, this thing I'm working on. I'm trying to learn to work and he's just getting really frustrated and he just vents for like 20 messages. And then the last by message the time, is, oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> by the time I get to the end, he's already fixed it. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we're talking about here. Like that's cathartic. That gets that. Well, it's really, it's still somewhat of a personality defect, but I know how to use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What this is, what we're talking about is complaining that is used as just another way of blaming an external force. Yeah, I I think the big difference here is that if you you complain in such a way that you're trapped in a victim mode versus, okay, this really sucks. How am I going to handle this? You know, Mm -hmm. here's all the factors going in. Like, that's one thing. It's another thing. If you're still complaining about this in a month, it's probably not a particularly good situation. Although sometimes you can't really get out of it in a month, right? Like if you're in massive debt or you're in a really crappy job and you're trying to find another one, sometimes it takes a while. But if it's something you're persistently complaining about, it's it's a victim mindset to continue to complain. Something that I, I tend to do, because a lot of times when people are doing this, they don't see any other choices. <laughs> really, who enjoys being around a complainer? So when I'm around someone that complains a lot, especially if they're complaining about the same thing over and over again, I tend to ask them, what are you doing about it? Yeah. I was like, you obviously don't like the situation. What are you doing about it? What are you doing to change it? And all the time, there will be nothing. Oh, I can't do anything about it. And I was like, yeah, you can. Yeah. Let's look at your options. You know, and it's no, I, I don't want to do that. Um, the thing about this is when you stop complaining and you stop making excuses, you silence the negative inner monologue that is telling you you don't have any choices, that is telling you you can't make any changes. What happens outside of you doesn't really matter. Your actions are what you control, and you are responsible for them. Yeah, Responsibility it, is all about action, and excuses and complaining are about inaction. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar. Well, I know you are, but you know, saying this to the audience, if you're familiar with the concept of a non-playing character in a video game, like you're the NPC? player, yeah, and you're running around and you're doing stuff, and what are the other characters doing? Well, they're doing whatever they're programmed to, right? If you go through life and you actually look at things and you go, okay, my interactions with other people, I could either look at it as, hey, they're trying to screw me over, or they're trying to do something bad, or they're just kind of running a script. Like if you look at it and you go, okay, they're running a script, you can do so much more with your life because you realize that their locus of control does not include you because mm-hmm. you're not a script. And it's, it's yeah. just really helpful. Now, towards that yeah. end, 
Um, it's a really good way of uh, looking at it. Yeah. And towards that end, you really need to avoid people who bring you down, right? If it's an NPC who is constantly starting fights and stuff and you don't want to be in a fight, maybe you avoid that one. <laughs> you know, the people we spend our time with will influence who we are. And I know that sounds like the cheesy dad advice, but well, it's true. It really does affect you. You're going to start to pick up the habits and mannerisms of the people that you are around the most. Yeah. If you're around toxic people, you will become toxic. It's like being around radioactive material. You eventually become radioactive. Yeah. You know, being around people that are constantly complaining and blaming is going to cause you to do the same. Uh, now, spending your time with the right people will improve your mindset. Being around happy people is going to improve your mood. And strong people. Like, holy cow, like uh, one of my friends is an old time strongman, right? And he completely normalized the behavior of doing stuff like bending horseshoes with your hands. Like once mm -hmm. you're around people that that let you know that stuff like that is possible, all of a sudden it's like, hey, I can do some really heavy squats now. And it's, you know, it's not all that intimidating because I got a buddy that does this other thing that's way crazier than what I do. The kind of people you're looking for are the ones that take personal responsibility in their lives. And it's up to you to choose the people in your life. Yeah. And this is a really big thing because you need to be finding people that encourage you to grow, right? Like if you're in a room and you're the smartest, most accomplished person in the room, you're in the wrong one. And you want people that are organized, mature, responsible, positive, and successful. That's a lot to take in right there. But, you know, you may not find one person that has all of that. You're very unlikely to find one person that has all of that. It's, you can find a group of people that have most of that. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how if you get around people that are productive, like you realize there's really not a whole lot of difference in them from you. If you were, you know, say unproductive, it's like you just learn little tweaks to the way that you look at life and the way that you approach problems. And those things will kind of leak into your life. And, and by the way, we're not saying like, we're not saying to use people. Uh, we're saying mm -hmm. that you go seek out friends who have these characteristics, seek out peer groups that have these characteristics and you yeah. can end up helping them too, by the way. Yeah. Um, I have a friend, you remember, uh, we used to call him long haired Josh because there's several Josh's. There's long haired Josh, military Josh, uh, weird Josh. Uh, it was a popular name. Yeah. But, Long-haired Josh. Um, he and I, back when we were in high school, I guess we kind of figured this one out early because we we became friends because we each had traits that the other liked and wanted to kind of absorb. Um, and it was sort of like this mutual exchange of, of habits and traits. Uh, but we would both do this. And it was really interesting because we would look for people to bring into our, our lives that had the things that we wanted because we knew that to get them, we needed to be around people like that. So for you to do this, you need to know the person that you want to be. Yeah. I mean, you should have a plan that defines criteria for success in your life. Like it's, it's amazing how many people go through life and don't really understand what they mean when they say successful. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we talk about how those are weasel words and they can mean anything to anybody, but 99% of the population, they use it that way. Now, if you go, okay, I'm successful when I hit this milestone, then you're more likely to go towards that milestone. 
versus yeah. just some ephemeral understanding of what success actually is. Knowing what is and is not important to you will guide you in this. This is why we have all those episodes about goal setting and like knowing what you want in life because it's, it's very important. With this information, identify the values that are important to you and then find people that have those values and traits that you want. That's what my friend Josh and I did back then. And we had this amazing group of friends that each brought something to the table and each gained something. And, you know, like Will said, it's not about manipulating people. It's about you may have some things that the other person wants and the other person may have some things that you want. Like, look at Will and myself, our friendship. Uh, I bring the, the gregarious, outgoing, extrovert aspect to it. Because if, if it were up to him in college, he never would have left his room. Yeah, that's probably true. I don't know. Actually, my my room didn't have a bathroom in it, so I would have like at least gone down the hall. But your your room in the apartment did. There is that. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's planning ahead right there. <laughs> but then he he brought a uh, stability and honestly, not planning because I was pretty good at planning stuff. Um, financial <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was bad with my finances a little bit head. of financial discipline probably discipline probably. that's yeah. that's what i i lacked yeah that's a nice way of calling calling me cheap um i appreciate that <laughs> and you know speaking of that um another really critical thing to do is to stop taking things personally um this is really <laughs> difficult for people that are really introspective and tend to overanalyze things like I was in college. The thing about it is it's a very self-centered way of looking at the world. Yeah. And it, <laughs> holy crap, dude. I mean, do you remember like some of the conversations we would have? And it's like, I don't think that person likes me. It's like that person doesn't know you're there. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It's like I could go up to him right now and ask. Yeah. What do you think about Will? Who's Will? <laughs> You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I struggle with this too, because it's more, more recently since, um, I went through the, the depression because I used to not care what people thought about me. And then going through all that, I lost a lot of friends and I became sensitive to it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like it's, it's a form of negative thought where you assume that everything's about you, um, and that every disagreement is a personal attack. Yeah. Okay. So here's something that, that strikes me as weird about this. It's almost like the, the more introverted types think everything is, you know, like the reaction is, is to think that everybody is judging them and being negative. Whereas the extroverted types often seem to go more towards thinking that disagreement is a personal attack. And it's just something yeah. I've noticed. And I don't, I, I don't have any scientific basis for that, but that almost seems like that sort of pairs with the personality types a little bit. Yeah. But I, I follow you there. I follow you there. The thing about this is you cannot control what other people think, say, or do. So there's no point worrying about it, basically. Um, even if it is about you, even if you're right, like that 1% of the time, and they are talking about you, whoop-de-doo. That's the thing I have to remind myself a lot. It's like, what does it matter if they're talking about me? Well, and... You know, you know, the side of it I come in on is, is looking at it and going, yeah, they're talking about me. 
You know, here, here's the thing to remember is you may even be in a situation where everybody's talking about you, but now everybody knows who you are. Yeah. Right. Like if you start looking at it like P.T. Barnum instead of like the <laughs> shy nerd, all of a sudden that's an awful lot of power. Yeah, that's true. And that power comes from controlling your own actions because that's all you really have control over. Your actions, what you do and how you behave. And the, the other thing too is don't make assumptions about what's going on. So just earlier tonight, like five minutes before we got on the call to start working on stuff tonight, I had texted the, uh, the tech lead at church, the production team lead, about coming in early on Wednesdays um, to their, the team practice, the worship team practice, so I could practice on the soundboard. And I'd already talked to the worship team leader, and she was cool with it. And the response I get back from the, the production team lead was, hey, you got a moment to talk. And you know what the very first thing that went through my head was? Oh no, I, I've I've asked too much. I've gone too far. Like, and you know, our our worship team leader, she's too polite. She didn't want to tell me no, so she's going to have you know our our production team lead who knows me a little bit better to say no to me. I'm like, all right, I need to get this over with before we record because it's going to be weighing on me the whole time we record. So I'm like, yeah, I've got a few minutes right now. So she calls me. We get on the phone call, and she is. Uh, She's like, so when you do this, um, what I want you to do is once you get the level set, I want you to take a picture of it with your phone so that when I get there a little bit later before you know, we do the sound check, I can, I can see what you're thinking. And I just fell over laughing. Like I almost fell out of my seat because one, all my stress was about nothing. Thankfully, it was only a few seconds of stress because she called me right away. But two... That's exactly what I was planning on doing. Like I was planning on taking a picture of the settings and being like, hey, how does this look? And can you try it out there to, when they're doing sound check to see how my ears are working with the room? You know, it was just like the, we were on the exact same page. And she was like, well, I probably didn't need you to call me because you were already thinking this. But <laughs> yeah. It's so this easy. Is, this is what happens. Yeah, it's what happens when you make assumptions. And that's, like I said, this is one of the things I've learned about myself is like, I got to, like, it would have bugged me all night long if I had said, no, I can't talk now. I'm like, yeah, I would it, rather start a few minutes later and not have that weighing on me while we're recording. Well, you know, it's interesting to mention that, like, I don't know, like, look at Shakespeare's stories, right? Romeo and Juliet. Like, the ending of that, how much of that was somebody's assumptions that literally led to people dying? Yeah. And, you know, that that's a pretty terrible thing to contemplate. So, yeah, definitely, you know, don't read into stuff. It's just somebody said something and you're going to see what the reaction is. Don't put analytical overlay on the top of that and make it unpleasant for yourself. Mm -hmm. Instead, ask questions. Use affirming statements to yourself, such as, oh, they're talking about this or this is a situation that's going on. So they're probably addressing it. Things like that. Um, doing these can be very powerful and liberating. Well, and the other honestly, thing, too, um, you know, this this helps you actually plan for the conversation. So mm -hmm. when they are, you know, coming at you and it's not something that's bad, you already know what yeah. the answer is. Like that's it's mm -hmm. way better to be prepared for that instead of going, oh, you know, we have to talk because they really hate my guts and you know they really think I should be burned at the stake instead of having you know, having this minor role in the, the audio group, you know, like 
it really cuts down on that because you can now analyze a problem that you can actually deal with versus something that you can't. You'll be surprised the results of just simply asking questions. So finally, under the things to stop doing is to stop chasing happiness with outside attachments. And this can be the most difficult for the outwardly focused. Yeah. A lot of people associate happiness with having the best of things. Yeah. So it's the best car, the best house, the best phone, etc. We have a friend that uh, we kind of grew up with who is, well, he used to be obsessed with making lists of the best this or the best that. I don't know if he still is. He kind of, he and his wife moved to California and I only talked to him every couple of months. So we don't get into like, we're not sitting around drinking IBC cream soda going and going, uh, well, what do you think the best this is or the top 10 samurai movies or, you know, cause he was obsessed with that kind of stuff. You know who I'm talking about? Uh, you know, to be honest, that description doesn't really narrow it down a whole lot. <laughs> considering our, <laughs> our list of friends. I'm like, okay, there's like six people that could be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tried to keep it intentionally vague. So we're not yeah. attacking one person, but yeah, like, Everybody's got those friends. And that's the kind of mindset that we're talking about. This kind of emotion is very much like a drug. Uh, It's a temporary joy. Kind of like getting a new toy on Christmas morning. You get really excited. You're super happy. But as soon as that excitement is over, the joy fades. Yeah, and you're usually worse off than you were before you got it. You know, um, we've talked a lot about my story and stuff, but... uh, when everything was going on before I got to the point of like having issues in my marriage, I think one of the things that led to it was I, I had been kind of down, kind of depressed. And so I bought a motorcycle, you know, um, I remember my, my ex thinking, Oh, well, you know, this is going to cheer him up. He's going to be happy again. And it worked for several months. I was super pumped about that bike. I loved it. I still love that bike, but you know, it didn't last because that didn't fix the problem. And the thing here is happiness is not in what we have. Yeah. It's in who we are and how we see ourselves and the way you see yourself and the happiness that comes from that comes from inside. It's not from external stuff. If you actually want it to stick around, you can't make it reliant on the external world. You have to stop looking at for, yeah, you have to stop looking for happiness outside of yourself and look for how you can become happy within. Sounds cheesy, I know, but well, yeah, I really mean, do. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like happiness from external sources is like an unsigned uh, dependency. It may get changed by somebody else, and you don't know. <laughs> you know I mean, really, it's it's just a it's very dangerous, really. So when you can be happy from within. When you can be happy from within, then you can be happy even when you have nothing. So let's talk about stuff to start doing to uh, get a handle on this. And the first thing is to do what you say you're going to do. Now, this is the linchpin of responsibility. I purposely put this in the middle of the episode because this, this is like the key piece that holds it all together. Yeah. Integrity is being honest and having strong moral principles. And the whole concept of responsibility relies on doing what you say you're going to do. You have to be trustworthy in doing what you say. You know, the previous points have been about after something happens. This is about preempting the kind of problems that can make life miserable. 
You can't take responsibility if you don't do what you say you'll do. There's a quote from uh, one of our favorite series of books. Will got me into, into this series. It says, mind what people do, not what they say, for deeds betray a lie. That's from Terry Goodkind. It's uh, the wizard's fifth rule is what that is. Uh, I don't remember the exact title of the book. There's like 15 books or something in that series. So, <laughs> all right. There's a, there's, sorry, there's 11 books in that series and then like three or four books in a follow-up series. So, but there's a lot. You can say all day long that you'll do something, but until you do it, nothing is effective. The house doesn't stop stinking. No matter how much you say you're going to take out the trash, it stops stinking after you take the trash out. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird, too, because like you notice like a tendency of people to talk about what they're going to do and then how many of us do that, and then we lose the motivation to actually do it. Like Saying something that you're going to do something should motivate you. It shouldn't take motivation. Right. So this is what throws me off because I remember when the first time you said that it was recording a podcast, it was one of our earlier episodes where you talked about that and it threw me off because for me, I am driven to do something if I say I'm going to do it. I think that may be an extrovert thing. You think like you're because you're trying to um, make sure that you still, you know, like other people still like you. Whereas I think the, the introvert is like, I get the, I get the, the bump in my feelings from saying yeah. I'm going to do something and then like I'm good. And so I don't feel like I have to do it. Maybe. I don't, I don't know because um, a book I'm reading right now called the type a Christian talks about as a type a personality, how saying you're going to do something makes you want to do it more. But I don't, I, I usually think of you as a type a personality, but it may just be a part of that personality trait that you don't have. Yeah, I don't know. Not, you, not everybody has all of it. Because you know like, how... There's a lot of things that type A's do that I don't. So, yeah. Because um, no, it's weird because, you know, how like I'll I'll not say anything about something I'm trying to do or learning to do mm-hmm. for a while. Because if I do that, it just completely blunts my effectiveness. Now, once I'm up to a certain point, then it's it's almost like that motivates me to continue. But that early phase, if I just need to shut my mouth. Now, I've, I've found I don't like telling people about ideas. I don't like telling a big group about ideas. Like I'll tell you about an idea or if it's like an art related idea, I'll tell um, some of my art friends, like mentor type people about it. It's like, Hey, I've got this idea I'm working on. um, Or I might be like, Hey, I've got this idea, but I don't even know how to get started. That kind of stuff. But I'm not going to go announce to the world. Hey, I've got this idea because I know if I do that, then I have to do something with the idea. If I don't ever say that, I'm not going to worry about getting it done. Now, if I'm halfway through the idea or three quarters of the way through, then I might start telling everybody about it because I'm like, I want to build up that anticipation so that when I show it to them, they're like, wow, that's really awesome. But that's just, that's my personality. Um, You need to make sure that you're able to act on what you say. And that's what I was getting at there is, I'm not going to say I can do something unless I know I can act on it. Um, Yeah. Follow up with action. That kind of matches what a friend of ours told us years ago. He was like, you know, life is a bar fight. (laughs) He's like, don't ever say that you're going to do something if you can't, because you'll get whipped. (laughs) And uh, he said whooped, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, he never said he could do English, so there we go. Uh, that's true, that's true. Don't agree or promise anything unless you know that you can accomplish it. Think of yes as a contract, but use no as an invitation to renegotiate the contract. Now, that that doesn't mean you can't give a hard no. Like sometimes you know, you're like, no, never. And sometimes it's, no, not right now. No, that's not really what I want to do. No, I can't because I've got these other things going on. Yeah. I mean, the thing about no is, is what you're doing is you're actually saying yes to something else Mm -hmm. and you're just prioritizing. Like, don't look at it it as being negative. It's just, hey, this isn't a priority for most things that works unless it's like deeply immoral. It's just prioritization. And towards that end, you know, you need to keep a schedule and put new commitments on there. Like I always have a to-do list app open. I always Mm -hmm. have the shortcut keys enabled. It's the first thing I do when I get a new computer. And the idea is, is that when something comes up and I say, yes, I'm going to do this, I can put it in there and yeah. I now have it on my schedule. I do that with my calendar. So yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah. Mine pushes it to my calendar. Yeah. I, re- I remember when we, we first started good grief, even just to uh, not that long ago, um, I wasn't always keeping the, the episodes on there because I moved them around uh, back in the early days. But uh, you like you would say you would ask me about something. I'm like, I don't remember off the top of my head. Was it say on the calendar? And you're like, Well, I can't trust the calendar. I'm like, Dude, the, that calendar is my source of truth. So whatever it says on the calendar is whatever is what time we're meeting, <laughs> or, yeah, or whatever. And like, it took you a while. I remember it took you a while to get used to that, um, and and stuff. And uh. But like with the, we also keep our, when our episodes are coming out on there and I didn't always have them on there because sometimes we'd be like, all right, we're going to re rearrange the order so that we can put like, we can have a flow or so we don't have like too many of one type of episode coming out at the same time. Yeah. And I think some of that too was you, you were in a bit of a dark place early on. And so I wasn't sure how much to trust the calendar versus like now, like you've got it locked in and I can go, if it's on the calendar, it's there. Right. Yeah. And whether that trust well, or distrust was rational or not, I don't know. Yeah. I can, I can see that, but for almost all of my life, I've kept like, I remember being 12 or 13 and carrying around a little black calendar. Yeah. There's some everything. people that do that. Yeah. That's, um, that is very type A and that is very me. That is one of the type A things that I am. I do a lot is like, I like to have things planned out. Um, most of my jobs have really liked me because I like to have my life planned out in semester increments. Yeah. So I will, I will request time off three months in advance because, and I'll take it or I won't like, unless there's something comes up, which annoys me about like certain family members that like to plan things at the last minute. I'm like, I can't on that. If you're not able to keep a commitment, own up to the failure. Yeah. Do don't make soon. excuses. Yeah. Don't make excuses. Do what you can do to make things right. Yeah. And be honest, like don't, don't make stuff up and go, well, you know, I need to change the batteries, in my smoke alarm or some junk. Like if you, if you lie about it, just go, look, you know, this wasn't a priority. I have other things I got to deal with. Just be straight up honest. That helps the other person evaluate the decisions that they made around it too. It just cuts the friction out more than anything yeah. else. The next uh, important point is to live in the present moment. And we've got a quote here from Rent, actually. Uh, There's no future. There is no past. I live each moment as my last. 
you know, I actually saw one earlier today that said something to the effect of there's no amount of regret that changes the past and there's no amount of worry that changes the future. Yeah, I, I follow that. Y'all, life is in the here and now. Uh, the past is gone and we can't ever get it back or change it. Well, except for, you know, if you live in an Orwellian society, then he who controls the present controls the past. He who controls the past controls the future. But yeah, <laughs> in our personal lives, we can't change it. And we can't get it back. Yeah. Although and, it's, you know, one thing I, I do think a lot of times people miss is you can't change it, but you can look at it in a different way, which is something I think you've done a lot of, and I've done a lot of both. And it really, yeah. it really helps. And it helps you drive towards the future, which is something that you can only guess at. So you can yeah. recharacterize the past to shift it. To where the future yeah, you, well, you can look at the past to help you understand what got you to where you are in the present, and you can, can you can change the present to affect the future based on what you've learned from looking at the past. Right. So the the past is for analysis, not for paralysis. Right. Put that on a shirt, somebody, <laughs> and send us one. Yeah. You have to take responsibility for the present moment. By doing so you will be able to redeem your past mistakes and you'll also be able to influence the future to be what you want. It's basically what we're getting at here. Don't obsess over past mistakes or future fears. Use your past mistakes to understand what not to do or what got you to where you are and take that to make actions to get you where you want to be in the future. And be really careful about the thoughts that you are choosing. And you know, most people don't seem to think that Thoughts are something they choose, but you know, trust me, they are. When you get present in the moment, you'll be aware of your own thoughts and feelings. And it's better to be aware of those and to understand how to shape those than to be stuck uh, only recognizing them and their impacts in hindsight. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. Things that happen in your life when you start to recognize your own thoughts and go, you know what? No. This is a negative thought. So you, you just speak what you want to happen. You speak what you want to think, and then you start thinking it. You start looking at situations in the way you want to see them, and it, it it's a mind hack basically. But it it changes the way you see the world, and it brings so much benefit. You, yeah. You'll be able to redirect thoughts that don't serve your goals and aspirations. Yeah, which means, mm-hmm. you know, in the present, you can actually change your thoughts to change the course of your life. I mean, that's part of what I did becoming more outgoing is I was like, hey, yeah. I've got to get past this crap that's making it where yeah. I'm afraid to talk to people. And what you do and how you respond to your thoughts and feelings will direct where your life goes. Um, a really good example of this is some of the stuff I've learned from John Sonmez. He looks at it and goes, hey, this is pain, this is discomfort. I'm going to lean into that because that tells me that something is there that I want versus, mm-hmm. oh, this is something I want to avoid. Like He purposefully goes at it. And on this, you have to do the next point, which is use the power of intention. The power to choose how you look at life is in your hands. You make choices all the time and don't even realize it. Even when you don't make a choice, you're still making a choice. We've kind of hinted at that a little bit already, but you're making choices each moment that will affect your future self. So if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. 
Right. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw the show the uh, the quote into the show there. Sorry about that. You know, uh, one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is that we don't have a choice, even on stuff that you feel like you don't have control over. It's really a way of absolving yourself um, of any responsibility, right? You know, I couldn't do anything because my friend is an idiot and did something idiotic. What you could have chosen not to hang out with that friend in that bar that you know they're going to get drunk at. Yeah. This is just a fancy way of making excuses by placing the blame on circumstances. Yeah. There's always a choice. It may not be a pleasant choice, but there is. You know, successful people take responsibility for their choices. Yeah. And you really need to be intentional in the choices you make, which means that you start with a vision of what you actually want. And if you sit down and you think about it, there's a lot of stuff that you do that really doesn't mesh with who you want to be. So you need to know who you want to be, where you want to go, what you want in life, in business, in relationships, in all these areas, and then make the choices that move you towards your vision. Yeah. And don't make the choices that move you away. It's the other big one. Um, a lot of folks miss like you can stay in a really dysfunctional set of circumstances if you're not careful. So speaking of dysfunctional circumstances, um, one thing you've got to learn to do as well is to look for the good in people, not the bad. We tend to judge others by their behavior, not the intentions behind that behavior, but then we judge ourselves by our intentions. Right. When you understand where someone is coming from, their behavior makes sense. That does not justify their behavior. It just puts it into perspective. Yeah. And you really got to avoid placing labels on people as well. Uh, Labels give you a sense of entitlement to act a certain way around them. Um, Look at the political process in most Western countries right now. um, And you'll see a lot of, you know, label-based things. Don't Mm -hmm. do that. Uh, One of the worst labels that a lot of people engage in is the non-techie which gives you the sense of being smarter than the person with this label. And I've even seen people do that to people that have multiple PhDs, but they're not techie. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you, you went to a two-year degree college. This guy's got two PhDs and you're looking down on him because he's not a techie. What? Yeah, it's that, that guy from, uh, was it Saturday Night Live? Move. Move. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this tends to happen to people closest to you more than to others. Um, one thing I think about is I I've heard this in relationships before. Well, she's the responsible one in the relationship, so I can be irresponsible. Yeah. Of course my favorite is, is, um, she's the one who does a lot of paperwork so I can push it off on her. Yeah. No, (laughs) I still kind of favor that one though, to be honest, (laughs) you have to take responsibility in conversations by listening to understand. It's too easy to only listen in order to respond. Will and I both suffer from this a lot. (laughs) Um, Instead of preparing a counterpoint um, or preparing your response and listening for keywords to attack, you need to listen to understand where the person is coming from um, or what they're saying. You're not playing Socrates here. Yeah. And this is, this is really tricky, especially if you're in a situation where you feel like you're the expert. And the other Mm -hmm. person saying stuff, because a lot of times they're using words in a way that you're not completely grasping. Like the word means something different to you. And you're only going to find that by asking questions. 
So finally, you have to focus on taking action. And this has sort of been an underlying theme throughout the episode on taking responsibility. You cannot be nor show you are responsible without action. It's the most critical piece to taking responsibility. Yeah. If you don't act, you don't achieve. That's just the, the long and the short of it. You know, how many people do we know that have said that they're going to write a novel versus how many people do we know that have? And the difference between those two isn't the quality of their writing. It isn't anything else other than sitting down and typing. Or writing by hand. I mean, some people do that still, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I would. Oh, that, that my hand just hurts <laughs> thinking about that. Cause like I, you know, like I write at length and I get like the claw and then my hand doesn't work for like a yeah. week. No. If you don't move toward becoming responsible, you're going to stay the same. Or worse, you may even backslide and be less responsible. You know, without action, you cannot take responsibility. Yeah. And if you want to make change, but you're not able to, it's often because you're benefiting from the lack of change in some way. Now, whether it's the way you want to or not is another discussion. Yeah. In order to change, you need to first recognize what it is that's keeping you where you currently stay. Like you got into this position for a reason. When we were talking about present, future, and past, this is looking at the past to see what got you to where you are in the present. Yeah. I mean, I've got a friend that talks about this a lot, about being overweight um, at one point in his life. And his big thing was, he's like, look, I ate for comfort because I had other stuff going on and it made me feel better. Yeah. What you need to do is you need to identify what you're getting out of the situation and see how you can get what you need in a different way. So not that long ago, I was looking at my finances. I was realizing I spent a lot of money on alcohol. Just a lot of like way more than I really should be. Now I could have just drank cheaper beer, but ew. Like y'all can't see Will's face, but yeah, ew. I realized the reason that I was drinking so much is because I was going out to bars to socialize. Yep. You go, you sit at the bar and you socialize with people. So what I did was I found other ways to socialize, to go out and meet people and to hang out with people that didn't involve spending a lot of money. Um, and I've and done the same thing with food. So. You have to start with small steps. You know, Start slow, start working toward becoming the responsible person you want to be. So long as you are doing work, you are moving forward. Your life is going to improve even with small steps. You know, I want to drop something in here. Your life will only improve in small steps. <laughs> well, the thing about that is small is a relative term. Yeah, it is. What is small to you may be huge to someone else. For example, I met a guy when I was out hiking not that long ago. And when I got back into exercising and hiking, going two or three miles on a hike was a small step for me. That was just like, I could just go and do that. For him, half a mile was a lot. I, I, I ran into him and he was about half mile into the trail and like it was him and his, his roommate. And he's like, like we got to talking and stuff. And uh, he was, he was telling me about everything going on with him and he was trying to get back in shape and, and get back out there. And I, I told him what I, what had worked for me. And he's like, man, I just, it's like, how much further is it to, to get back? I was like, well, you're, you're about a half mile in. It's like, you got about two and a half more miles to go to make the full loop. It's like, you could kind of shortcut it and get it in about uh, another mile and a half. And uh, if you cut through the campgrounds and he's like, I, I, I can't do that. I got to turn around. And yeah. that's, that's as much as he could do. That was a small step for him, but that was a step forward. On that same note, I, 
I got a friend who, you know, she hadn't ran in a couple of years, decided to get back in and started with 5Ks. I mean, yeah, it's all relative. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, huh, it's 100 degrees outside. I think I'll run 10 miles. Yeah, yeah. I don't even drive 10 miles when it's that hot. It all boils down to the habits you make and to maintaining them. Guys, as you become adept at taking personal responsibility, you'll see opportunities to take the indirect responsibility for things that are not caused by your own actions. Uh, Things that happen in your life um, may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility to fix them. Taking responsibility is not taking the blame for causing a problem. It's taking action when something needs to be fixed. And the same applies to the workplace. You may not have written the code that is broken, but you can take the responsibility to fix it. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I want to point out a general principle here that is um, extremely useful. And that is when you take responsibility for stuff, a lot of times you gain power in the situation as well. Uh, Take, for instance, your accountant, right? Your accountant takes responsibility for getting your taxes right. And they get paid handsomely in a lot of those cases. It's the same thing with everything else in your life. If you're going and saying, okay, I'm going to take responsibility and I'm going to actually fix this problem you'll be kind of put into a position of power as a result of that. And a lot of times this can really help you overcome a lot of other issues. You know, a lot of uh, character defects, a lot of weaknesses in certain areas. If you're taking responsibility for other areas that you're strong in, it really covers a lot of sins. So if you get in the habit of doing this, you'll find that you become a stronger person just in general and you end up in a more unassailable position politically in whatever group you're in. So just throw that out there as something that is extremely useful that I have played upon quite a bit. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.